Welcome everybody to Hacker Valley Blue, where we get the industry's best and brightest cyber defenders to share their experiences and tips on how you can better defend your assets and networks. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. As a world champion gymnast and a former foster kid, I've faced my fair share of complexity, and I've learned that the concept of controlling complexity is about more than just overcoming our own hardships. It's about helping others overcome theirs too. After all, in the face of enormous complexity, the best not only find a way to adapt to the challenge, they also find a way to give back. From now until the end of the year, Axonius will make a donation to Friends of the Children for every demo completed. For more details and to sign up, go to axonius.com slash friends. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash friends. This season is all about the color purple. We'll be bridging the gap between red and blue teams and combining their strengths to form purple teams. Join me as I meet with some of the very best purple teamers out there who are changing the way we do security on a daily basis. We're going to go ahead and explore their journeys, talk about their time from red and or blue teams, some of the challenges they faced, as well as some of the successes and benefits from coming together and forming one team to defend against cyber threats from all over the world. So let's go. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I am your host, Davin Jackson. Glad you can join us. When I decided to come out and talk about this season, I wanted to find some professionals who are leading the way in this field that might be new to some, but has actually been something that people have been working on in the background for quite some time. And what better person to get than someone who literally wrote the framework on purple teaming. So I'm sure you're familiar with this gentleman, but if you're not, he's an instructor. He is the CTO of Scythe. He is an author, just all around a really busy person from just looking at everything that he's got going on. But for those who don't know, ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is George Orchias. So George, thank you for joining. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. No, thank you. Thank you. Like I said, I know you are super busy, but like I said I was super excited once I saw that you agreed to do the show. But for those who don't know, why don't you go ahead and just give a brief introduction as to who you are? Sounds good. Thank you, everyone. Hello, listeners. My name is George Orchillas. I am the Chief Technology Officer at Scythe. We are an adversary emulation platform that is used for doing things like purple teaming. I'm also a SANS instructor, a principal SANS instructor is a technical title. I've been teaching there for over 12 years, focusing on Security 504, which is Hackers Tools, Techniques, and Incident Handling, Security 599, which is Purple Team Course, and Security 699, which is the Advanced Purple Team Course. Doing lots of stuff there. I also used to teach Security 560, which is the Network Pen Testing Course, and I'm the author of what was a two-day course and now is a six-day course, and that is Security 565, Red Team Operations and Adversary Emulation. So two days I wrote for 564 are now in 565, and that's launching, or actually just launched, it's open and available now. So yeah, do a lot of things for SANS. I'm also their Purple Team Ambassador. And then 
Other than that, yes, some of my history prior to Scythe, I worked at Citigroup for 10 years running the offensive security team. Started there as a vulnerability assessment analyst and worked my way up building some cool teams, some amazing times there. And yeah, I think that covers the what I do on my day-to-day is essentially SANS and site stuff. And both of those organizations allow me to contribute back to the community. So things like C2 Matrix and the Purple Team Exercise Framework and all that stuff that that's community-based is really sponsored by my time at Scythe and SANS. That is awesome. And shout out to Sands as well as Scythe. Hey, Bryson, how you doing? <laughs> Thank you for sharing that information. And you actually touched on some questions that I was going to get into later on, but we can still do a deep dive after that. But starting out, you didn't just start out in security per se. You actually started out doing like network admin or sysadmin level work and then transition. So you could talk about what got you into tech in the first place and then how you transitioned from starting out in tech to sysadmin and then into security. Yeah, for sure. So my family has always been in technology. Both my parents are system engineers from Venezuela. They studied there. I was born there. Actually, I moved to the States when I was two. So I've been a South Floridian ever since. But also my family, everyone's essentially been in the engineering area. So it's always just been there. My first computer, I was probably like five or six years old, family computer using that. And then I got into gaming So really trying to get my parents to give me some money so I can get a computer. Back then, the easiest thing was to buy the parts and build them. So I started doing some hardware hacking, getting CPUs to go faster than they were designed to go. Same with video cards back in the day. And then just video gaming in your teenage years, it was probably like 12, 13, lots of LAN parties. That's where we took all our computers and plugged them into the same network and played multiplayer games together for anyone that doesn't know what a LAN party is anymore. And there I got to meet a lot of other people that were doing all sorts of engineering and technology jobs and whatnot. So that kind of got my interest even more. Of course, a little video game hacking occurred, breaking the operating system on a daily basis and having to reinstall Windows and played with Linux back in the day, very masochist using things like Slackware, which was a very difficult, probably one of the most difficult distros to start with. But yeah, just, you know, really probably because of family, because of friends and gaming and all that, I got into security and, well, into technology and kind of making it work for me. I guess that's the definition of hacking uh, as well. And then from there, what was it? Probably high school, Started working delivery at a Chinese restaurant was one of my first jobs. And then in the neighborhood, there would be people that would ask me to fix their computer. So I figured I could charge them for fixing our computer, 35 bucks to remove a virus or something like that. So put a little ad in the local uh, magazine or whatever it was here. And yeah, people would call and I'd go fix their computers, just be the tech nerd in the block serving a little bit of money there. And then they would ask me like, oh, can you come to my small business and help? And then like little by little, just learning by doing, see what the problem was, figuring out how to do it and charging a little bit for it, not too much. Then when I went to college, I went to Florida International University. They were hiring for the university technology services. They were migrating to Active Directory. So aging myself there (laughs) from Windows NT to Active Directory at a university setting, which of course was a very large network compared to what I was used to. So did that for a bit, learned a lot of scaling issues and all that. And then from there, I went to a job fair, see what other jobs were available. 
And this company called Terramark was hiring an intern. So I'm like, whatever, let me go check this out. Ended up getting the role of junior system administrator. About 700 users, 50 to 60 servers. But the cool thing about this company is that they operated carrier neutral data centers. And in particular, I worked at the NAP of the Americas, the network access point of the Americas. It was a, like a building designed as the Disney World for nerds. It was built before 9-11. And then after 9-11, they essentially made access to it very difficult. Essentially, it's where some of the undersea cables come into the southeast United States. So you have cables going to Europe, South America and whatnot. They had two of the root DNS servers were there, lots of co-location and hosting and all that. So doing system admin job there and got into security because they had a security team. And this security team was awesome, right? They sat in a sock. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. There was snap glass and uh, this whole Disney theme of for nerds. I loved it. I would ask them questions. I remember one of the things I had to do was roll out a new endpoint protection solution and it included a firewall because back then there weren't firewalls built into the Windows operating system. And I asked, there was an any line all the way at the top. And I'm like, that's not good. Why are we rolling out a firewall if it has an any any rule at the top? So I went and talked to the security team and they're like, yeah, good catch. This would have just opened up everything. This is how you do it. And I just started asking them questions. One of them's like, hey, we should run Nessus in the internal network and see what vulnerabilities there are. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. So I tell my boss, my boss would be a little scared, be like, oh, I don't know. It sounds like we're going to get more work. I'm like, yeah, but security, that's awesome. So did some cool stuff with them. And then they had an opening in the SOC and the Security Operations Center. And I applied for it. And that's essentially when I got into an official career, I guess, in information security. Throughout all of that, I networked a lot. So in South Florida, there is the ISSA, the Information Systems Security Association. So I joined there and gave my first talk. It was, I was writing a book on Windows 7 as I was a system admin. That was like what I did. Twitter was new. I was tweeting stuff and writing blogs. And uh, uh, Singress Publishing is, would you like to write a book? And you're in your early 20s. You say yes to everything. So I said, yes. That took four months to write an 800-page book. I had just gotten married. My wife was not happy doing bachelor's and then directly did my master's. So it was like a ton of work all happening at the same time. But through networking, ISSA, and there was a hackerspace called Hack Miami. Just did lots and lots of networking with folks in the area, just learning a lot. And yeah, I guess that's how I got into the SOC and really got my first security title to work professionally as a security operations analyst. Nice. It was funny. I was going to say, that's actually really impressive. The four months, 800 pages for a whole book. And then when you said the part about the wife being not happy, I was like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to. So that's even, that's doubly impressive because you were able to do that and still come back fairly unscathed. Yeah. Never again, though. I'm not one to write another book. It was a great experience, especially with an operating system. There's a time to market when Windows 7 was coming out. So we had to do it. But at the same time, like I was finishing my master's and I just got the sock job and the sock job, it's a 24 seven sock. So I'd have to work three months of night shift and it was like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So that night shift, along with the master's, along with writing a book was just a lot. 
Then again, is I remember my early 20s long time ago and sleep was optional then. Now it's if I don't get seven to eight hours, I'm no good to anybody. Yeah, 100%. I'm with I need my eight hours now. And you're in your 20s. You have the energy to do it. Also didn't have kids with kids. It's harder. You want to spend time with them as well. So I definitely think I did at the right time, but definitely would not do it again. But again, that's awesome. The thing that just stands out to me was the... I won't say the fearlessness in it, because at that time, that's probably a lot of things that was fairly unknown. You're going in and schools are trusting you with their networks. And now you're in another place where you're dealing with root DNS servers and stuff like that. That had to be a really cool experience. And to do all of that, like you said, to do that while going to college, while writing a book and everything, that was awesome. So kudos to you. And again, I guess that actually explains a lot of things that I'm going to get into a little bit later. So you started off like many of us who got into it by computers or video games. Like I didn't so much with the computer because I was just so terrified of my I, I didn't get a computer till like I was in high school and my mother was like, if y'all break this, <laughs> I had to scratch that itch other ways. And I did stuff like messing around with video game systems. Like I remember we were able to play burned video games or games from other countries, the Japanese Sega Saturn games. If you're able to Sega Saturn door open to pop the disc out and pop the other one in. It's interesting that everybody kind of starts somewhere with some type of tinkering and then that transitions into that. So you did that. And then you moved into this space and now you're at a sock and sock is mainly, I guess you could call it blue teaming. And then you eventually transition over to the offensive side. So a lot of people, I've heard some people say they started at a sock and then moved into pen testing, but usually it's they pick one side and stay there. So what was that to transition from doing the sock stuff and then moving to the offensive side of actually being the one that you're watching from the sock? I got the job at the SOC. It was really cool because Terramark was like one of the first cloud providers. They were actually calling it Colocation 2.0, but they were working with VMware, essentially launched what they called the enterprise cloud. It was infrastructure as a service. And that is actually where I met Stephen Northcutt from SANS. So they're working and the sales team allows this gentleman in to sit next to me and he starts asking like all these questions. I have no idea who this is. No idea whatsoever. Later on, I found out Stephen Northcote was a president of SANS, wrote like the book on intrusion detection, wrote Security 503, I think in 504. And so around that time, I get into SANS. I actually pay out of pocket for my first SANS course, which was Security 504, the GCIH. And that course, it's one day of incident handling, which is all blue. And then the next four days are all about hackers, tools, technique, and exploits. So that's like where I really start getting formal training, not only in defense, because essentially got a little bit of training on what to do at the SOC, also on the offensive side. And that's kind of what like started sparking that interest of this is super cool. Then in the SOC, we had a bunch of customers. A lot of them were cloud customers. And I remember clearly like it was yesterday, July 4th, 2009, Independence Day in the United States. I live in South Florida, Miami, right? Everyone's at the beach. I'm working. I'm looking, hopefully nothing bad happens. Something's coming. And all of a sudden the net flow data spikes up. Department of Transportation, which was one of the sites we hosted, was under a massive DDoS. It ended up being, there's a Wikipedia page of it, but we were one of the ones targeted. 
We also had whitehouse.gov, GSA, Veterans Affairs. So it was all public sites, but it was all high stakes. And yeah, like the phone would ring and be like, this is the office of the president. And you're like, all right, I know what, I'm not going to say what president. I know the answer. Okay, what's going on? And you're like following your process. And it was cool, but the time was bad. Working the night shift was a lie. I had just completed my master's. I had done the GCIH. I'm like, all right, I have formal education. I have the certifications. I have the master's. I have the experience now. I wrote this book. Like, I shouldn't have to work night anymore. Like, I've done my time for one plus year now. And that was through networking that someone that worked at Citigroup reached out and it's, hey, Citigroup, the ethical hacking team is what they were called before. They're hiring infrastructure vulnerability assessment analysts. And you are all infrastructure. You are a sysadmin and you do that. So that was when I'm, whoa, I can get paid for this. This is a dream job. And that's how I got in it. So I had already taken the GCIH, which I originally took for getting better at software. And then through networking, I found out about this job and got to work there. So it was really cool. It was a small team. We were like seven people when I started. It was like, the golden age pen testing was just starting to be a thing. We were technically not pen testing. We were doing vulnerability assessment. And I thought the university network was big. This network was big. Millions of internal hosts, a hundred some countries that they operate in, 200 some staff. I don't know. They had 25 data centers back in the day. This was big. I'm like, wow. And this is my playground. As long as I don't knock anything down, I get to find and report vulnerabilities and all this stuff, ATM, web apps, infra, you know, this huge amount of infrastructure. So that's where I started was doing vulnerability assessment there at City. And yeah, I just loved it. It was, I don't know, I think one of the things with the blue team was like, at least in this, in that time, I was a SOC level one analyst. So it wasn't like I could work the incidents either. Like my job was to identify something's wrong and then escalate. That massive DDoS, back then we escalated to Prolexic, which I think I bought by Akamai. But it's good. High five. You did your job. You saw what you had to, and then I handed it off. Like, we'll take it from here. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but I want to know what's going on. No, you can't. It's above your yeah. pay grade. Sorry. And again, this was back then. I probably didn't have enough experience to be touching stuff there anyway. But yeah, I just got the opportunity to do the offensive stuff. And I went and I uh, had a great boss. I actually reported to the same person for the 10 years I was there. I told oh, wow. him when I was leaving, I'm like, we've lasted longer together than most marriages. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> we still get, we're still in contact. I imagine 10 years, like we're friends. Our wives are friends. The kids know each other. He lives up in New York, but... Whenever he comes down, I see him. Whenever I go up, I see him. So it was a good management. His boss was also great. So in say 10 years, wow, were you doing the same thing? It's, no, we actually got to do a lot of cool stuff. You came in at a time, like I didn't get into pen testing till about 2015, 2016. But yeah, you came in at a time where ethical hacking and pen testing was fairly new. But I guess my follow-up question would be was, because it was fairly new, was that an easy transition? Did like the pen testing come easy to you as the SOC did? Or was there a learning curve? Or did your experience at the SOC help you with your pen testing? Yeah, so I didn't get straight into pen testing. So in 2010 is when I switched over. And I started, and I think everyone should start, I actually have an ethical hacking maturity model that I put together. Everyone should start first doing vulnerability scanning, then vulnerability assessment. And vulnerability assessment, the differentiator from pen testing is you're identifying the vulnerabilities and you're verifying the vulnerabilities. 
And then, of course, you want to actually calculate the risk in your environment. So did a lot of work with CBSS on behalf of City. We were a voting member for CBSS, and I was the lead in for version 3 and 3.1. So a lot of work on vulnerability assessment before we even got to exploitation. But after two years, and again, with good management, that pen testing starts you know, becoming more and more, like you said. We're like, all right, look, we verify the vulnerabilities there, but can we exploit? And that's where like, at first everyone's like, yeah, no, get out of the room, get out of this meeting room. It's okay, but hear me out. It will allow us to better calculate risk. It'll allow us to prove that the vulnerability is there apart from the current verification we do. So we actually had to build a case for doing pen testing. And that was like where I mentioned like my boss and his boss were great leaders for us because they helped push that at the highest level. And we pushed it. It's not just do the pen test because, yeah, you can go exploit something with permission from the owner, but then are they going to fix it? So it was also about putting policy in place that what we found they had to fix and they had to fix by a certain amount of time. So building out those programs by this point, I had become lead. I was starting to build a team. Retention and keeping the team that I was building was important to us because, yeah, like you, you trust these people. They're literally pen testing in a network that moves trillions of dollars per day throughout the entire world. You need people you trust and you need people that are good that are not going to bring something down. So that's where the pen testing started getting in. And we were able to start doing some pen testing and also a little bit of regulations. There were some countries that had regulations that would started pushing for real pen testing, not vulnerability scanning, vulnerability assessment. So that helped a little bit as well, right? When you're putting these together, not just, hey, we should do this because we're going to have better risk scores and this and that. But, oh, look, there's also this compliance requirement from this country that we want to operate in or we are operating in. It would be an issue if we don't do it. Got to learn a lot about regulations in different countries. And then, yeah, that's where the pen testing started coming in. And we were big believers in continued education. So as part of the team, it would involve, we would always try to get someone at least a 40 hour or 30 some hour of external training. So for me, I did the G-Pen next, the Security 560 then 660, then 706. I got to take a lot of SANS courses. So did my team. And then other ones like back then, Immunity had the unethical hacking course where essentially to get the certification, you had to write a buffer overflow in an hour, which was pretty cool back in the day. It's kind of OSCP now, I would say, if I had to compare it to something, but back then OSCP didn't exist. So we believed in all that. We believed in sending folks to training, sending folks to conferences. So we're learning, we're talking to folks, big organizations are part of FSISAC, where essentially you need to be at a certain level as a financial to be able to talk to each other. So we got to talk and see what others were doing. Some were doing pen testing. And then from there, we started growing and doing more and more, started doing red teaming back in 2016-ish timeframe. The first engagements, we definitely learned a lot from. And we put in again, like we're going to do this every three months. And every three months we did four engagements. And the SOC, the difference between a pen test where you're exploiting a vulnerability and a red team engagement is that you're really testing the detective controls and the team. So before with the pen test program and vulnerability assessment, we would tell the SOC what we were doing. And then we started doing these engagements where they did not know. And 
then we would find very big issues, some that weren't easily fixed with a patch. And then we were working our way back to try to get those issues fixed. And that became a big problem. The SOC and the SOC folks that we had established a good rapport for, now they're like hating us. They're like, you went and did the stealth red team engagement. You made us look like crap. You are the third one. You did the same thing and you knew that you weren't going to get caught because we haven't fixed that yet. So this like, we really started, the relationship was bad. There, our chief information security officer, Charles Blonner, someone I still keep in touch with, he's what, as part of this, let's send all of you to Black Hat, sent like 30 some people from the company at Black Hat. His manager or his, the person under him, my boss's boss at that time, it's like, all right, we're all getting together. We're going to have dinner. We're going to have drinks. You all need to meet your, yourself in person because we hadn't met either. Socks were like Singapore, Texas, 24 seven. And we were like in South Florida. So lo and behold, like they're humans and they're like us and they have goals and they work at the same company. And oh my gosh, we do have the same goals at the end of the day. So through that and in there, as one of the things I proposed to the person that ran the SOC in the U.S. was like, why don't, instead of us doing the stealth thing again, why don't we all just work together? I want to learn about the SOC because I worked at a SOC, but I actually have no idea what the SOC does here, what tools they use, what processes. We'll learn some stuff and then we'll show you some of our stuff. That's how we did the first, we didn't even call it a purple team exercise. We just called a collaborative red team engagement. And we did the first one and oh my gosh, we flew out there. We all had a great time. We worked together. We built detections together. Our team learned how the blue team operated, all the different levels, the processes, the response process. They learned how we set up attack infrastructure, how we created payloads, how we did operations. And that's like where the whole purple team idea started. And this was was like 2016. So it was super cool. No, that's awesome. You actually answered my next question, which was going to be, so what was the moment that purple idea clicked for you? And you just said it, I guess, having that conflict and then coming to that realization that, wow, we're on different parts of the globe for some of us and not being able to actually effectively communicate on a constant basis and have that collaboration. You jumped ahead of me there. And I'm sorry, like, I'm because I kind of know where the question is going, but I also want to say something that you just said. And that is a lot of people think purple teaming is just like these collaborative hand-on exercises, but there's like this psychological part of purple teaming that no one ever talks about. And that is the like understanding that we are all human, that we all have different goals, that we all work for the same company. And like, how can we get along? Because if you get along and if you have that collaborative, just like talk about other things, what'd you do this weekend? And that builds that collaboration way more than force feeding everyone, like sit together, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. And see, that was going to be my next point was having that collaborative thing, because at least for me, just speaking from my experiences, it was almost like we were taught to be in our own, I guess, island or silo. Red team was over here and we do this and we keep our tools and how we do things and our TTPs and we keep all of that to ourselves because we need this for the engagement and for the next engagement because we know that, like you said, we know that this is probably not going to get fixed the next time. And then same thing with the blue teams. And then again, like you also touched on, 
And then what some companies or man, upper management would do would just say, oh, okay, well, we're going to do this collaborative thing. So here, sit here. And then there's literally a single divider between offense and defensive security, but they didn't really encourage that cohesiveness, that collaboration, that morale building and stuff like that. So I think that also still plays into some of the stuff we see today when you see the red teams and the blue teams are siloed, even though they're considered to be purple teams because they're sitting together, but they're not really working together. And I think that's one of the pushbacks that you get when you hear people say, well, we should probably be more cohesive, more like a purple team. Management's like, oh, well, we sat you together. That should be it. Or you go to meetings together and that's it. If you could speak to some of the misconceptions, like you said earlier, that they think, oh, yeah, where you're a red team, we're blue team, we're sitting together, so we're a purple team. But if you could speak to some of the misconceptions and how to address some of those to create that, I guess, that unity, because let's face it, there aren't too many managers who are going to send 30 people to Black Hat to get along. So what are some other things that we could do to create that bonding? Yeah. So again, as a, from the a psychological perspective, is understand what the current state is in your organization. Ours was really bad. We were not getting along in any way, shape or form, which results in having a different solution than others. So really understanding how siloed that really is. Also, how many companies actually have internal red team? Maybe all the Fortune 1000, maybe that, maybe less even. So the overall goals need to be covered first. Like what is the goal? Is it to run an adversary emulation together so that the blue learns from the red and the red learns for the blue? Or is it to foster a collaborative culture? Because those two goals are different. You can follow the same framework to run the exercise, but depending on the goal, that's going to be a little different. If it is to foster more collaboration, I would probably not focus too much on TTPs and focus more on team building working together. Maybe I'll do some a CTF and break them up into teams and have them play something else together. That's not necessarily what they do on the day-to-day, or there's a million things you can do for team building, if that's the case. If the case is indeed, no, they seem together just fine. Let's focus on running some new TTPs. Be like, okay, then what TTPs? You don't want to just YOLO the latest CTP. Go find An adversary is likely to attack you, maybe one that's attacked someone in your industry, in your region. Let's go through those. Let's understand what they did so that you have a higher value exercise for the goals that you have defined in the beginning. So I think defining those goals is definitely the biggest one. It's like our industry. Every time there's a new term that we start using, the marketing teams from X vendors just start piling them on. We did a purple team. And really, it was just because this one company wanted a checkbox that they did some red teaming and that made them look good. That's a different goal. And if that's how you want to achieve that goal, that's fine, but define it early on. So we all know what we're doing. We're not here thinking that the goal is that you actually want to build a program. You want to operationalize the collaboration between your team. Say you want a checkbox. And we will deliver and do something. We'll probably wouldn't even take on that gig, to be honest. But yeah, I think that defining the goals is going to be the biggest part. And every organization is different. So depending on what they want, that is how I would shape the first purple team exercise and get them all together. But I do think that the exercises are the way to go 
for the first time. After that, once you foster that collaboration, you can operationalize it, right? You can do like this week, we had the defer report release some TTPs. You don't have to wait until the next quarter to run that. You can look through it, see what's new. You've probably already tested some. Focus and do a smaller exercise. You can do a two-hour exercise on Friday and focus just on those four new TTPs you haven't seen before. And all of a sudden, you have a lot more value and you've efficiently built detections and improved your security by working together for two hours at the end of the week. That's a perfect answer. And I think that's also a perfect time to bring in our sponsor because we definitely want to move from the buzzword of purple teaming. So we want to go, like you said, from it being a buzzword to actually working on those engagements and coming up with the collaboration to achieve those defined goals that you talked about. This podcast is sponsored by PlexTrack, the proactive cybersecurity reporting and collaboration platform, bringing red and blue teams together for better collaboration and communication. PlexTrax empowers teams to communicate findings between red and blue teams electronically for rapid remediation, centralize remediation efforts, and automate ticket generation for faster, more efficient workflows, facilitate tabletop exercises, purple teaming engagements, breach and attack simulations, and more. A better security posture begins and ends with PlexTrack. Claim your free month of PlexTrack and get a copy of our blue team content bundle at PlexTrack.com slash Hacker Valley. Again, that's PlexTrack.com slash Hacker Valley. Now, George, I know you're familiar with PlexTrack and talking about creating that collaborative environment and meeting and exceeding these defined goals. How does a tool like PlexTrack help you with doing that? Yeah. So one of the cool things of PlexTrack was that they really understood that there is a difference between tracking vulnerabilities, CVEs, and tracking TTPs. So while you can, of course, ingest and use it as a vulnerability management tool, right? I think it imports from every major vulnerability scanning tool out there. But this was like a big thing also when we went into red teaming and purple teaming. You go from a vulnerability which has a fix that's generally easy, right? Change your configuration or patch. And you have CVSS, which is a well-documented, repeatable method of calculating a score. And you have the finding is either open or closed. It's there or it's not there. So you build all this program. It's great for that, by the way. PlexTrack does that phenomenally as well. But the reason I started looking at PlexTrack was because when you move to TTPs, and TTPs we use as a full, well, one thing, it's not. There's tactics, there's techniques, and there are procedures. They have procedure-level reporting. So one particular procedure can run, could be successful, or it could be not successful. It could be blocked or prevented, what attack calls mitigated. Or what happens most of the time with procedures is that you have to detect them. You can't just block it. You have to actually detect when it occurs. So how do you log that? It wasn't logged locally. You need some visibility, at least on the local system, right? If you run something, was it logged to the Windows event viewer? Was it sent over to your central log aggregator, to your Splunk or to whatever SIM you have, whatever it is you use, Elastic? Oh, it did. It's there. Great. Someone can hunt for it. That's great if they know what to hunt for. But was there an alert? Now you have it on your SIM. Can you get it to an alert? What kind of alert do you need? And then once you do turn that on, how much visibility do you have? This particular alert, now something that you're getting a thousand alerts every minute on, Probably not a good one to turn on. So then, of course, you have to do the appropriate detection engineering. 
to set the right parameters, what machines you want to trigger on this or what type of users, etc. And then the red team comes and you've got this one all good. You have it detected. Awesome. You run it again. It alerts. There's only one alert because that's the only malicious one that you saw. The SOC knows what to do because you trained them. Fantastic. But then the attackers modify that procedure. What do you do? You start over. So it is really good for documenting all of that and really seeing the historical trend of it. So to summarize, the movement from the evolution from only looking at CVEs as or looking at CVEs as open close, looking at TTPs as something that needs to be detected. There's different types of detection, different types of alerting, different types of response and then being able to track that over time. So PlexTrack is one of the few vulnerability management solutions out there that looks at these two slightly different, and it's very, very useful. So yeah, we're big fans of PlexTrack at Scythe. We integrated with them probably on the first year I joined Scythe was one of the main integrations I wanted to create where you run an emulation with Scythe and it's in your PlexTrack and you can track it there and import as many as you want and have all that historical data there. And again, thank you to PlexTrack. Again, for the Hacker Valley Blue Blue Team content bundle, go to plextrack.com slash Hacker Valley. Now, George, you just mentioned Site, and that was actually where I was going to go next. So now you're, you spend 10 years creating this program at Citigroup. You essentially built this offensive security program from the ground up. You then ran into some conflict with your socks and your blue teams, and then you created what was no, what you had a different name for it, but essentially you created your purple team. So now you literally had something that was essentially your baby. How hard was that to let it go when you then transitioned over to site? And if you wanted to talk about how that happened and, and now what you're doing over there. We did that back in 2016, and I love sharing with the community. I wanted to present, wow, this is amazing. We have the red team, we did awesome stuff, but we didn't actually improve. And now we found this other way of doing this exercise where we did improve much quicker. So the only place I could go talk was FSISAC. So in a private event, I was actually able to present it. I recently published those slides out on my GitHub, but that's the only place I could really talk about it. I'm like, I want to give back to the community. I found all these, you know, we found all this really cool ways of doing stuff. And City started going through a number of transitions, leadership changes, which is very common in large organizations. But essentially, my CISO left, his boss, my boss's boss got removed from our teams. It was becoming much harder to speak, do any conferences, to contribute anything to the community, to even to teach for SANS, which I had been doing for 10 years at that point. So... At that point where I was actually already a Scythe user, so at City, I was using Scythe. I had met Bryson at a SANS. It was in like an advisory board meeting. It was led by Ed Scotus for the offensive curriculum and what classes they should build and where the industry was going and all that. And of course, there I'm talking all of this purple team stuff. And he shows me Scythe. He's like, oh, check this out. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But it needs this and this, like I could tell that it was like brand new, right? So he's like, all right, that's cool. He takes notes and he goes. And like at City, I'm used to talking to all these vendors. Most of them, they're all good. And then once you use them, it's like, it just goes bad. And he actually came back and he's, hey, look, we have a new version, check this out. So I look at it, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, so it does do that, but still missing this. I actually sent him back a second time. And 
three months later, comes back, hey, check this out. We implemented that, 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 that. So I'm playing with it. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. All right, let me eval this. So eval Scythe went through all the, the processes at City, which you can imagine are colossal for a multinational organization. Went through all that and we started using Scythe there internally. And by this point, like I knew Bryson had another company called Grimm. So it was a service company. I'm getting to that 10-year mark at City where I'm like, am I going to stay here my whole life? I kind of want to go try some stuff on my own. And my idea was to build a services company that would do these purple team engagement. And of course, red teaming and pen testing, because I knew, but I really want to focus on purple. So I talked to him just about how he did Grimm. And I went, I talked to others like Tim Medine. Red Siege was probably on its second year. So he gave me some great advice. Started learning about this. And then Bryson comes and he's, hey, we're actually looking for a CTO at site. And one of the things you can do is run professional services. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So we talked. It took a while, as you can imagine, big transition. And I actually ended up leaving City in March 2020, which everyone remembers as the start of the pandemic. Probably very high risk time to leave. My wife was pregnant. We were due in July, but I was ready, right? And of course, I talked to my manager. He had met my boss for 10 years, and he was with me as well. He's go do it, do your thing. You want to be happy. You want to do the sans thing. You want to go. This makes sense. So we all left in great terms. Still very imagined. When I started, we were seven people at City. When I left, we were around 160. So this was like a big team that I had worked with for many, many years. So it was bittersweet, but... Went over to Scythe as a CTO and started building integrations and things because I was actually a practitioner. I was using and doing adversary emulation, doing purple teaming. So that's actually where we built that particular integration with PlexTrack. When they introduced me, I got introduced to PlexTrack through Scythe. And then one of the things I run now is the Scythe Labs teams where we do professional services. So if anyone's interested in doing a purple team exercise, say it's your first time, you want to build a program, That is what we're specializing, going and doing and showing you how to run that first exercise so that you can take that framework and go from there. It's not like we want to keep coming back and doing it for you. We, of course, can help you and do that. But it's just getting people to see the value of purple teaming, how it's done. We have the purple team exercise framework, which version two is the current version. Lots of lessons learned from many, many years of doing this, doing it in enterprise as well as in consulting. So that's what I run now. I have an awesome team there with Tim Schultz and Chris Peacock, who you probably know. He's an awesome detection engineer, big contributor to Sigma and things like that. Sean Edwards, Brandon Rosanovic, all amazing, amazing folks. So got to build that out. I've been there, what, like two and a half years now. Congratulations on that and that promotion to CTO. That is amazing to do it during the pandemic and still thrive. So yes, congratulations on all of your success there. And yes, shout out to Bryson and Chris. I actually had Chris on last season. It's really cool. And I think that is definitely one thing that stands out with your services as opposed to some of the, I guess, the quote unquote pen test puppy mills is that you actually are doing it with the goal of saying, here, this is us doing it for you. Now you go out and try to do it yourself. Whereas opposed to some of these other shops is literally, here's your report. See you next year. And again, I think that is also one of the values to having that purple team collaborative mindset, because it's not about 
coming back year after year after year to find the same stuff. It's literally to work on the overall improvement of the security of the organization. I think that for me is what drove me to have more of that mindset. Again, it wasn't purple. It wasn't, I didn't call it purple teaming at the time, but it was literally the same thing. What do we do? (laughs) Why are we continuing to go back and forth and back and forth and doing the same thing. That collaborative thing is definitely something that's super important. And I think we should do that. In order to do that, talking to the your contributions to the community, as well as SANS, we're going to try to wrap up here. So now when you're teaching your courses at SANS, are you teaching them to kind of just embrace that? Because again, when I first came in, it was, this is the red team stuff. This is what we do. And then there's blue team stuff and that's what they do. Are you teaching them to have that collaborative mindset when you're teaching your courses? And if you want to just go give an an example of one of the courses that you're teaching, feel free. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So Security 504, the hackers tools, techniques, and incident handling That is essentially the theme is offense informs defense and defense informs offense. So I'm, of course, always telling the big wins have always been when we collaborated. 599 and 699, the ones that have purple team in the name, those you are essentially doing little mini purple team exercises for each thing. So it breaks down MITRE attack, right? It'll introduce a particular topic, process injection, talk about all the different ways of doing process injection. You do it. You do the offensive part, and then you focus on the defensive part of how can you detect it. 699 goes a little, it's definitely one of the most advanced courses. So it will apply things that you implement in 599, like application control or attack surface reduction rule. This is a preventive measure that you have. This is how to bypass that preventive measure and now detect that bypass. So it really levels up, but all of them are essentially little purple team exercises as you mature your way through it. So even if you have a purple team program going like this course, it will take you step by step to higher levels of maturity. And then the red team course, yeah, that focuses solely on red teaming because of course we still need people that are good at doing offense that are dedicated to that. Just like we have courses dedicated to blue team from all types, from forensics to detection and all that. But yeah, I've been a fan. Again, I'm the Purple Team Ambassador for SAN, so full disclosure of why I love those courses. But yeah, I really think having that good understanding and building that collaboration is where it's at. Okay. And I highly recommend getting your job to comp you a SANS course and go check those courses yeah, out as well. Yeah, for sure. So last question, because I want to get you up out of here. What advice would you have for any upcoming practitioner looking to get into security or making that transition from their red and blue team to a purple team? Understand we are all humans and we should be kind to each other is really one of the main thing. Don't build that adverse relationship. Don't let it happen from the beginning. We'll make the collaboration better at the end. I do think, though, that if you want to be good at either offense or defense, you have to understand the other side. Like It's hard to be a defender if you have absolutely no idea what the attackers are doing. And it's hard to be an attacker if you have absolutely no idea what the defenders, your target organization is doing. So really having a good understanding of both is great. And then, of course, if you don't have a Purple Team program, read the Purple Team exercise framework. It's free. It's on GitHub. If you use it, let me know. Contribute back to it if there's anything we can improve on. Because, yeah, I think it's definitely something we're going to be seeing more of as uh, we go down this route and You'll probably have red teams doing yearly stealth engagements while you can have 
bi-weekly purple team engagements. So we'll see how that pans out, but I, I definitely think it's the future and collaborate and work together and share information. Like that's what it's all about. No, absolutely. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining. And thank everybody who is watching and listening. George, if you wanted to tell them how to reach you before we break out of here. For sure. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. Both is just my name. It's spelled Jorge Ortigues, even though I go by George. So it's just my name together. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. Feel free to connect, reach out. And I love talking about this stuff. So don't be shy. Absolutely. And we got to get you back on here next season. So, George, thank you for joining everybody watching. Thank you for watching or listening wherever you're getting it from. Make sure you check us out, check out the other episodes and also make sure to join that Discord server and we could talk further there. Again, this has been another episode of Hack Valley Blue. I've been your host, Davin Jackson. Make sure everybody stay safe out there and I will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacker Valley Blue. If you did, please remember to like it, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends and colleagues and family members, get it all out there and make sure you tune in for the next episode. Also remember to join our Discord server and you can talk to me and some of the other Hacker Valley family. So make sure you go check us out over there too. And I will see you next time. Peace.